0: Hello, I'm James Woodcock from pixelrefresh.com and here we are for yet another game and gadget podcast and of course with me I have one of the co-founders of Revolution Software, I may say he's my favourite one of the co-founders but I can't say that in a podcast, I may be biased, welcome again Tony Warriner. Thanks very much, thanks very much. You, that's a good intro to you, you like that one I'm sure
1: <laughs> Yeah, well I, I'm my favourite uh, Revolution co-founder too
0: so. Quite right, absolutely And of course, Aaron Fothergill, who's got vast experience in various retro consoles and computers, and in fact now I've got an Amiga I want to spend some time playing some of his Amiga classics so we can maybe talk about those in detail in the next podcast once I've played them and gone, wow But let's go over those later. Welcome again, Aaron, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. And okay, so, gentlemen, we're going to start with Aaron because he's got an anecdote, and I'm hoping Uh he's not going to stitch me up, but here we go.
2: (laughs) So, yeah, I was mentioning in the the, the pre pre game chat, as it were, um, I'm going to add crochet engineer to my cv um because here in um, our little spanish village there's a group of ladies are do have started doing crochet and they're making quite large crochet sort of things basically to cover the streets so so last year they made a huge great big crochet blanket covering thing and hooked it up either side of the street over the front of one of the bars, which gave some shade for the patrons and actually allowed the bar to put extra tables out on the other side of the street and, and do better over the summer. And it went down well. And this year they're now apparently planning to do another one of these for one of one of the plazas up at the hill by, by one of the churches and also do a Christmas tree and so on. This is supposedly the plan. And I don't crochet right Uh, i it's a useful skill i wouldn't mind learning it at some point but i'm not too worried about learning it immediately however the the ladies that do crochet don't do engineering and they have this slight problem that they also don't know how to work out how many granny squares is required for this particular area of coverage of this wall and, and so on and how do you fix them to this wall without it blowing away or breaking or and um end result being because i've kind of done bits and pieces of this in the past of helping artists with the maths and engineering side for installations and stuff like that so it's a very similar kind of deal so essentially what i will do is i will pop up there measure up a few things kind of ask ask a few questions about well what size are these granny squares you know and, and the, say. how are they <laughs> yeah how are they built? And having having talked to friends of mine who do crochet, learnt about things like different weights of yarn and stuff like that, so I can work out some a few tolerances and so on, and then actually sit down and, and work out a plan for them of just exactly what size, how many they need to do, what types of yarns they have to avoid maybe, because, for instance, apparently wool is twice as heavy as the synthetic yarns, especially if it gets wet and so on. So you have to watch out for that kind of because the the size of this thing potentially it could be quite a lot of mass. So if you're fixing it onto an old uh, ancient church wall with the wrong kind of fixings, the whole thing could suddenly get caught by the wind and blown away or weighted down by water and collapse on people or you know. So it yeah. suddenly becomes quite quite a fun thing. And I and I can say I get to put crochet engineer on my C V so <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which does raise the question where can we see the rest of your C V?
2: Um, I, I've a good question. Actually, I did actually have to print it out. We we, we did a thing a while back about having to do do um do our, C, our CV for um an investment thingy. Um, and um, I I I went back, found my old CV, which I haven't used probably since Argonaut days, because I've only ever done one job interview ever. Wow, <laughs> and it just kind of one of these things where I did a job interview and then the company I was working for got bought by another and so on. Everyone just kept buying the company I worked at. and just never really got around to doing another job interview. You know, I just went with it went with the flow, <laughs> but I then kind of you know, when you start adding all the games you've done onto the CV and it's like, you know, you've said this is supposed to be a single page CV for this, for this form. Right. Yeah. Mine's about five. <laughs> um, so, there's an abridged version of it. And then there's the the full detailed version of it. And there's a few weird things, but, but again, it's like the, the crochet engineer thing actually, as I mentioned before, before the, we started recording, there's, there's some game design uh, elements to this in that, um, if you're designing a game on a particular subject, you do not need to be an expert in that subject, you know, which is kind of good considering some of the games that have been put out there, uh, um, that's a reassuring
0: notion given a lot of games <laughs> about murder and intrigue so you don't have exactly, to be a murderer yeah. to write a game about murder that's good yeah. to know Thank you, you just
2: have to know enough useful information about it and how it how it works is the general thing the generals about how it works to actually do design gameplay the, the thing you've got to be good at is designing gameplay um and and looking at the elements of what makes this thing interesting and, or, you know, not interesting if you're doing something that's a deliberately complicated simulator or something, but generally speaking, you're looking at what are the key things of this and understanding it, understanding it in a way that you can present it to other people. Um, So, you know, if you dig way too far into crocheting, like for instance, you know, you're like, it's not, it's not about, um, weaving and it's knotting and, and all this kind of stuff you know there's all sorts of weird things about it and again things like the different types of yarn and all this kind of thing I, I need to know enough about it for the the general worry about weight and stress and stuff like that i don't need to know all you know all the different things about how it retains color and that that's their problem
0: <laughs> well but they've wanted to tell you about that side as well
2: <laughs> oh probably yeah i mean that that's that is a thing you'll when you're when you're doing research for a game, you'll find out a lot more stuff than you actually need to know, uh, or even want to know a lot less time.
1: <laughs> I, I know one thing about crochet; it's easier than knitting.
2: Yes, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: it.
0: We should have ended the podcast on that line. That would have been perfect, wouldn't it? But we've got <laughs> still plenty of time
2: just well, just, if just we've learned
0: anything that, from that the podcast, that is edit
2: it. that bit to the end, then no problem. You know, you know <laughs> I don't do
0: that. I'm too lazy we for that. Start, but... We could
1: start, start another one, can't we? Just just like knitting and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: I'll let you think of what the title will be. Um... Spinning a yarn, spinning a yarn. Oh, oh God. very good, <laughs> very good. Oh man, we've got to do it just to use the title. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I feel alright, it. Okay, so <laughs> moving on. There,
2: there's there's a challenge, a crochet game. Yeah,
0: we're, uh, we're, crochet crochet simulator. De-
2: well, not even a sim- necessarily a simulator. Work out crochet into a game design. That could be, you
0: know, <laughs> it's been done. That's it? There was I can't remember the name of it, but there was it an. I- that, but yeah, there is an iPad <laughs> app where essentially you're building up a picture of something. And you're you're drawing it in with your finger at the wall patterns. And it's almost like a mini puzzle, but it's meant to be relaxing and to de stress.
1: And it does actually. Cozy. Cozy, as they say these days.
0: It's, it's, yes, definitely cozy. Most definitely cozy. And I felt very cozy after playing it for a while. But um, (laughs) I'm not sure I was going to explain it to the wife sat next to me when she was staring over, like, what's he doing? (laughs) But uh, regardless, um, Tony. You have not been to that many recent retro big events, and yet all of a sudden, you're in numerous. Every time I check, you've been at some big exhibition, and you've been speaking there with Charles Cecil, so you've done two that I'm aware of, and then you've got another one soon, which I'm happy to say I will be visiting as well to see you in person for the first time. Uh,
1: it's a slight exaggeration i mean i, I was on a panel at zap uh, zap live in whatever it was august it's been it? modest? Uh, and then i was at adventure x i did uh, i was at last weekend also on a panel so i mean i, I made a few piffy comments and got i got got a laugh out of two of them and, and let let other people do the main speaking so uh i was very much myself but um <laughs> Uh, it, it was good. It, it was. Re- I mean, both of them were very good events. I mean, I don't do. I, do, I don't go to many of these things because it's exhausting, and um, you know, I, I like sitting in the dark programming rather than being in the middle of crowds and London and stuff. But um, talking, you know, my is my voice is going because I had to talk for two days to people, you know, things like that. Mm. Uh, so it's hard work, uh, but you know, I, I'll do. I'll do the really interesting ones, and and yeah, there's another one crash live which is effectively a rerun of zap live uh in 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 a week in a week's time so i mean that one's going to be really great and and charles and i are talking together on a on a panel question thing so that
0: should be uh, should be quite amusing i think yeah
1: so i'm looking forward to that yeah
0: so when you come away from the stage environment and you haven't got somebody coming up to the microphone asking you a question from a distance what are people coming up to you and asking you when you're sort of off to one side and retro enthusiast grabs you and goes, "Oh, Tony, 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 tell me, tell me about this."
1: Uh, it's usually just stuff about broken sword and people, people saying how much they like the games and they, they, how they played them with their families and whatever in the past. And can we, can we sign the game and all that kind of stuff? I mean, there's loads of that. But um, I, mean, I wasn't really expecting it so much at Adventure X because everybody there is, 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 is a developer really. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a trade show in a way. Um, but the amount, the amount of copies of, um, of Broken Sword that were brought up to me and Charles to sign was quite surprising, really. Um, mm-hmm. And every other person, of course, you speak to is German. That's the other thing. Um,
0: they really did Ge- take point and click adventures they, they to hard, still,
1: didn't they? They, they still take it very seriously. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I just I shipped. I just today I shipped five boxes of books to Germany.
2: Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're buying saying, books. It's kind of a uh, you know, you, you, you normally would have a traditional book book tour and a book signing tour post release of the book. So you know, kind of that, really, in there. Uh, in a way,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, quite quite a lot of people have read the book. A few people have said uh, read the book. So um,
0: yeah, fantastic. It's good. It's a big it's a big ego boost, really. For these things, you know. But what's it make you feel about the? Community in retro and the enthusiasm for retro because we've spoken about this in podcasts for the last few years where we could we could sort tell from online discussions that retro was building and the coverage on YouTube is insane. There's a, about several videos a day for a very similar subject people struggling well, maybe to find the niche but what in terms of what you've experienced in person what, what's well, the enthusiasm it's, it, like it, it, it's changed a
1: lot i mean i said i mean i i said, i wasn't expecting much from zap. i mean anything would be rubbish but but you know uh, I, I didn't know what to expect from zap but it, it was it was literally euphoria you know you know i mean we we did the panel thing and uh i mean it was it was a fairly small room it wasn't that big but they were queuing out they were packed in at the back they were queuing out of the door there was people lined up behind the door back out into the reception area of this hotel you know so they've rejigged it for the next one for the crash one so this in a bigger room you know uh, and it was just like it was just total enthusiasm uh, it, uh, it, it, it was it was it took me back really i, was, I wasn't surprising it but that's that's something that's grown, i think um you know that's that's really taking off uh, more recently i mean it wasn't like that five years ago at all uh, i mean i went to also adventure x i went in 2019 it was a much smaller event um i mean it was okay but it was it was a bit you know like the adventure genre it was a little bit maybe down at heel but this this other one that, that, that last weekend in greenwich university i mean it was uh much much bigger much more enthusiastic a lot more going on a huge lecture lecture hall that, that filled up with every every talk you know so Uh, you know, a world of difference. So, I mean, that, you know, as retro itself, you know, as defined as 16 and 8-bit stuff, it it appears to be growing in strength. Uh, You know, the amount of people writing new content for it, it, feeding into it is is really um, quite surprising. And, uh, you know, in adventure, we shouldn't really call it retro. It's just, it's a genre that fell on very hard times, but appears to be uh, alive and kicking and growing again. So, I mean, it's just it's just all good, you know? Really
0: good. No, definitely. Um, all hail the retro enthusiasts for keeping this hobby alive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this... But, you I, know,
1: you, sorry, you, you, but you'll see it. If, you, if you're going to crash, you'll see it for yourself in two weeks. Uh, I think you'll be surprised as well.
0: No, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been to events where there's just lots of computers and arcade machines to sort of try out. And you can see there's lots of people, parents taking the kids and letting them experience some of the device maybe for the first time that's nice to see the new generation experience in that but in terms of what you saw at that event what was the age range was it lots of middle-aged men like us or was there a nice bit of a mix there uh, at, at zap it was
1: it was to be fair it was it was quite a lot of guys like us um and and then a mix. It was mostly guys like us in a mix. Uh, Adventure X was all sorts of people, mostly much younger. I was probably one of the oldest people there, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it was it was it was. I mean, the developers were mostly much younger. You know, they were probably people mm-hmm. who who may even have been born after a game like Beneath a Steel Sky or something. You know, so a lot of them were very young or oh, and others others played these games as kids and, and then have grown into it into into the scene as a as a developer so and much younger and and more diverse at uh, adventure
2: x mm. I mean, one of the um nice things about point and click adventures is that the, the technical side of it is i'd say relatively simple but there's there's it's more complicated than it looks it's always the thing but if you're a uh, uh, you know you're having a proper first stab at writing a, a serious game, then it's actually not a bad genre to have a go at. So so it's a good interest for for younger people to try. Yeah, it.
1: it's not it's not bad. I mean, the, the, what's what's hard about adventures is just finishing them and not letting them get too big because it's very painstaking putting mm. putting them together. I mean, the problem with adventures is, as we found when we were actually making big commercial ones, was that you know. Uh, unlike, uh, I, I don't know. Imagine Doom. Okay, you, once you've programmed the stuff, then all you need to do is rearrange the stuff for for twenty different levels, and you've got a game. There's nothing yeah. to rearrange. You know, Broken Sword. There's nothing to rearrange. It's effectively eighty games lined up against each other. So you know that's yeah. that's what makes them difficult to finish. But uh, you know, there's a lot of people doing these days. It's viable to do like a a, a, a ten screen tiny adventure game you know and sell it for a tenner and as long as as long as it's a great story then um you've got you've got a viable product you know so you know you don't have to do the epic great things that we used to do you can do a much smaller one um so yeah it's a very viable um genre to go into now And uh, yeah a nice little programming exercise for sure
0: and how's your shmup coming
1: along my shmup your shmup my shmup i was doing years ago and gave up on because unity (laughs) just sucked the life out of me um, uh, and I switch, I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a Metroidvania slash adventure now. Wormhole dungeon. It's more of it. It's, it's just it's it's half adventure, half half Metroid. So it's a different thing. Wasn't well. your
0: shmup something that was something else to start with? And then it turned into a shmup.
1: The shmup was really a you no. Know, it was a proper. It was going to be a proper one. I mean, it's it's half done. But I, Unity. I just got sick of oh, fighting that's Unity.
0: That's a shame. This one. Intrigued. This
1: one's. This one's going to work. Uh, you know, there'll be a demo in in a couple of months, so it's it's much more it's much more me. So if it's, it's not working.
0: done in Unity then. What's your new one going to be using?
1: Well, it's written in Lua, uh, and it's currently sat on Love Two D engine. But being being Lua, it can go anywhere really. The, you know, the Lua runtime will run on a million different platforms, so it is very portable. Um, you know, we could easily rewrite the shell underneath it, so it's. It's uh, it's very flexible, and and Lua. I've never. I mean, Lua is uh, it's a really nice little language. Uh, I've never made progress as quickly as I can programming in Lua. So, um, yeah, everything's everything good for me now, and I'm, I'm I'm getting where I want to be.
0: Now, for someone who's been coding in machine language, <laughs> surely anything <laughs> modern now is going to be. Oh, that's quite a bit easier. Well. It, or oh, is it you, not as
1: straightforward, know, is it, it? It's not really. It's all about how you work and the speed that you can work and what the materials are that you've given to work. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't like these big, big, the big, big engines. You know, um, they're they they they're too slow and cumbersome in general for me. Uh, I like something tight with, with a minimal functionality that, that you can iterate really, really quickly, you know. I mean, on Spectrum, we used to go, press a button, Test button test and I, I used to be like multiple times, maybe a dozen times. I could run a game a dozen times a minute, testing, tweaking little tiny things, Um and I can do that now with this. But even even with Unity, you know, on on a, on a on a M1 Mac, you know, with tons of memory, you'd be you type something, switch to Unity to run it, and it and it like starts churning around, thinking about reassembling one of the,
2: the um annoying things unity seems to have done recently is switched everything to being online so it's caching so much stuff through servers and and it has to go and reload that every time you go backwards and forwards between unity and your code editor
1: yeah that sounds even worse even worse
2: and yeah uh, yeah, i I can't work that way no it's annoying (laughs) um it's like it's like a lot of the the tools nowadays for programming are visual editors and so on. And a lot of stuff is very, yep. very good if you're a new coder learning how to put things together. So a visual editor, especially if you're a, if you're a, a junior coder or if you're a designer who doesn't really want to have to learn to code fully, just again, uh, it's back to the game design thing, you just need to understand it. You need to understand how it works generally so that you don't make stupid errors. You know, mm. And um, the visual editors are great for that if you're not a coder. But if you're a coder, you want a bit of to type some text in and test it. You know, yeah. you, you don't want to be manipulating things on screen. I mean, again, it's that, that whole Tom Cruise minority report thing. is very, very cool for visuals. But you try typing something in on that, it's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, to me, it's not real work. So, I, uh, you know, I understand that, that, that that's how it's done in the modern world. But um, although I don't think these engines, any of them, the current ones, are, are going to last much longer. Uh, I mean maybe well, Unity does seem future. to be trying is, to make everyone hate it. <laughs> unity is well you know, Unity is basically imploding. I mean its commercial model is is unsustainable and, and the fact that it's IPO'd as we said at the time it's it's unsustainable. It can never it can never generate enough money for the for the mob on Wall Street. So it, it, I think now it will decline and and get bought by someone else. And the question is what happens when it's bought by someone else. Will it will it be a Microsoft which is what most of us would Hoping it would be in the first place, who can put you know who can put it in a safe space, safe place within the the huge Microsoft empire, and it's not got too much pressure on it to generate a profit in itself. It will support things like the Xbox and and things like C Sharp. Uh, Times have
0: changed, eh?
1: (laughs) That would be well, yeah. You know, rooting for Microsoft, who who would have thought? But that would be, in terms of Unity, that would be probably the best, the the only workable solution for it in in the in the long run. And as as a as a as a PLC, as it were, it's got no chance whatsoever. And uh, so I see, I see a big decline and an exodus for for Unity until it collapses enough to be bought up by someone else. And after that, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are leaving it now anyway. I mean, I I don't blame them really. Because it's from a corporate point of view, it's 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 run by a, a bunch of crooks, you know. So we'll see. That's my view. But I said, you know, I said, I said, mark my words. If they IPO, it'll all it'll all turn into a nightmare. And people didn't. People were like, "What are you talking about?" But there's there's no way you can earn enough money as an I think a, as an it's engine. the
2: um, investment from kind of what they are called now the company that, that that kind of pushed them, that bought them, and pushed them towards everything being free to play an advertising base and uh, if you're not writing a game that is monetized through that sort of system you're crazy as, as far as uh, rich jello is concerned and um, it's like no that's not the point of it you know it, yeah. that, that that itself i mean uh, i remember a talk by um, a game game developer called dave Vout who who did a, a talk way back at a tiger thing in in, um, in Guildford and uh, he in the early days of free to play and uh, with advertising uh, on in games especially on mobile games he says it's it's a pyramid scheme because the advertising in games is for other games <laughs> mostly yeah and those games <laughs> need to advertise to make sure they get enough downloads for the adverts in those games which are for other games to make enough money to pay for the adverts that they've paid to get those games downloaded and and basically, to get your game, you know, you've basically got to get, like, you've got to spend a million dollars to make a million and one dollars yes. in advertising. You That's kind of interesting. And down at the bottom of the pyramid, there's all these little games that are desperately advertising the games above them and not making any <laughs> money, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely true. That's exactly what it is. I mean, Candy Crush um, yeah. sits at the top of that pyramid pretty much. And they literally, mm. as you say, they are spending, I I, I read this, they're spending a million dollars a day to earn a million and one. 000, 000. Mm. It's true. It sounds but crazy, if it, but if it's true. it
2: sustains. I mean, you know, the, as long as you can throw money at it and make more money back, it's an investment. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, the pyramid collapses because it's not viable for everybody else to, to support it. Yeah, you
1: know. yeah. Um. Yeah. And the fact that a lot of these games are using Unity is um, is a problem, yeah. isn't it?
2: Yeah. And this is why the people who basically threw all the money into Unity after it IPO'd, this, com- this company basically pushed them towards this whole, you know, you know advertising-based system and free-to-play sort of system as, a, as the primary goal of what Unity should be used for. And then everything else has just kind of gone by the wayside, which, of course, has caused issues. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was never a great engine for that, anyway. I mean, I mean, it abstracted away all the Android nightmares, but you know, it's, as a as a two D engine, it's it's way overweight. You know,
0: mm.
1: and most of these games are too. Well, a lot of them are two D. I think. Know?
2: I think the reason I went for Unity um, when I did was because at the time of the two big engines, that and Un- and the Unreal Engine, it was the most lightweight, relatively speaking, for mobile. Yes. it was. Unreal was just utterly crazy for mobile it was just totally impractical um probably and, still know, is it, i don't know it, it, it is kind of but um but the problem is mobile's got faster and faster and faster so there's, there's the whole la- lazy coding kind of thing again like it's happened with everything else windows hasn't got faster it's got lots and lots and lots slower because pcs have got faster so they just they can just do quite sloppy code now you know that, that well, it might look nice, but it's a lot slower than it should be.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just layers and layers and layers and layers. Is Windows now?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. To, to, to their credit, Apple seemed to. I mean, Apple don't 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 seem to fall into that problem. There. I mean, they, it's they pretty snappy, agree. pretty snappy and light. Yeah. Macos. Awesome.
2: They do to a degree, but every now and again, they've had a right for this software update. We're all we're going to do is optimize. They do seem to have it every couple of years or so. Apple will go right. Let's have a look and see where we can get rid of some of the crud, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. It, does, it kind of it does a Tetris thing,
1: thing doesn't it? And yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. That's a good, good analogy.
0: Yeah. They had a few rough years. It was probably actually around the, you know, when they said, we're going to get rid of skewmorphism. Mm. And I remember just before that, Apple released this most awesome podcast app. And it was, it was skewmorphism in the be- most beautiful sense where it was like a tape recorder. And when you press play to play the podcast, you could see, like, the tape working its way around the mechanism. And if you press pause, it would, like, bounce a little, like it was an (laughs) actual, it was just beautiful. Mm. And then they went to this most boring, digital-only interface. Now, look, it makes for optimization for speed. Not even for that. But... It it, it was just like, it was this most beautiful. I dread to think how many hours they spent getting that little bounce right in timing and everything Mm. just for pressing pause. It's like we lost a bit of beauty there. But also around that time, this is my true point. I was having a bit of a moan there. The true (laughs) point was they changed all the icons and it went very graphical in terms of they made a lot of graphical design changes. But the actual underlying OS seemed to suffer and become almost like a second citizen yeah so in subsequent years they did then start thinking oh actually we could just do with here's a year of optimization and then here's some new features and then up to exactly like you say
2: one one of the things they did at that time when they got rid of the was they made a lot more of the of the um ui transparent and suddenly you've got a lot of alpha fill going on, on on the screen so that's much more expensive to do because not only are you drawing the thing on top but you're still having to draw the thing underneath first
0: have a windows uh, vista and
2: then, yeah and, and and there's a i remember reading an article not long after they did that where they said oh apple's hit the, the out know, the 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 transparent stage and every OS goes through this stage where suddenly it goes partially transparent, and everything goes really bad, <laughs> and all the design goes bad because they're more, you know, they're not really thinking about usability as such. And skeuomorphism is great. I can see why they wanted to change from it. I just, as someone who understands all the things that work, I mean, Apple books were so nice because you you could flip the pages and stuff like that, you know. But it's that joke about, oh, I like. Uh, you know when when you have a you give someone a three and a half you know some some um current generation kid uh a three and a half inch floppy disk and they say oh wow you 3d printed the save icon you know <laughs> it's that because skeuomorphism relies on us understanding and remembering what the thing is that we're simulating
1: wasn't like it real
2: tape and stuff you know
1: <laughs> wasn't it steve jobs that liked the skeuomorphism and Johnny, hated did, and it. Johnny Ive
2: Johnny i hated it, yeah, and so it, when Steve wasn't...
1: when Steve died, it was like Johnny was like,, oh, it's really bad that Steve's dead, but hey, flat colors now, <laughs> yeah yeah. <It's>
0: Johnny,
2: <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Then, and that caused I think that's one of the reasons that caused all of the rifts inside Apple with the design team, um and Johnny, Johnny Ive Johnny I left later on eventually, um, from that, you know,
1: Ive was very hardcore in all his stuff mm. I mean, he 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 kind of needed to be reined in. Uh, you know he, he you know you know when the Mac, when these when the laptops had no no ports on them you know it was like uh, that was like the tr- johnny going uh, the ports spoil it well actually they're there for a reason johnny you know i think yes. we should, <laughs> that we're going to pop- have to sacrifice form for for some function now
0: yeah well mm. that would be probably the 2015 macbook pro when for a number of years it was, yeah, it was like what are you a doing terrible Apple? machine i mean it's i've really i've still got my 2013 macbook pro and it still runs really well even today. And it's still, after 10 years, it's still my main workhorse as a computer. I don't run that much taxing on it, so it works out very well. But then that one came along. Was it the butterfly keyboard? Oh, yes. Where in if you got app, a yeah. Chrome in it, well, that mm. would be that key gone. You're not using that again, sir. So. <laughs> 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 and then you take it to the Apple store and say, oh, yeah, you've got to replace the keyboard or something daft. And then, awesome. like you're saying, Tony, they got rid of ports. <laughs> HDMI, goop, gone. Have a dongle for that instead.
1: Yeah, have a dongle.
0: Yeah. Um, for photographers t- touch that as
1: esti- well, you know. We don't need keys on Twitch Burning. Which that, kills
2: that's, that's a, the weird thing is is that like Apple's kind of gone away from that and into yeah, just about a reasonable level of sensible on things. Yeah. Apart from the mouse, because the mouse is still a Johnny Ive design that's stayed. So you've still got the, the lightning connector underneath it, which means you've got to flip it on its back to charge it. Yeah. Um I suspect they will replace that very soon. But the weird thing is, is while Apple's kind of gone back to, yeah, we need people use these particular ports and these things, and we need enough of these for people to use them, the EU has suddenly come along and said, no, everything's got to be USB-C. And that's suddenly thrown. Um, And it's like, yeah, I I can see the excuse for why you want everything to be USB-C, but I can't see the actual practicality of it because all these people who've got phones with lightning on have to change their phones everyone is they're supposed to be stopping people having multiple chargers for different things but you don't you have the same charger just a different lead and that lead is that lead for a particular reason usually and that lead ultimately ends up with a usb a connector at the base end anyway so if you make everything usb c you've got to buy a new charger that's got a usb c port on it
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess the dream is we'll all be using USB at some, C at by some point. By that time, though, Therefore. USB
2: D will come along, <laughs> and and all of a sudden, no one can, no one's allowed to use this better connection technology because it's mandated by law that you must use USB C. And this was one of the other arguments for not not you know, not allowing this law to happen.
0: Although it is nicer on my iPad Pro. Let's note the term Pro. In it, mm. I can now plug in a USB C audio hardware, USB C hard drive, and it just yeah. pretty much works. I haven't yeah. got to mess about with dongles,
2: which is why they did, especially with the iP- the iPad Pros, they did that. Uh, they did the USB C change early because it used it. Likewise, the Macs have had USB C for years because it's a useful thing. It's just that you shouldn't necessarily have it as the main thing for tra- just charging a phone or. You know and, and so on and the, the problem i got is like yeah i I upgraded my my iphone when the, the 15 pro came out and because it, it's been a couple of years so it's like right time to upgrade usbc great okay i can plug it into my mac no problem and charge it i've got i've got a usbc charger not a problem i'd go into my car to, to go shopping oh it's usb a i need to get another lead more e-waste because that lightning lead that's in my car is now e-waste effectively and I keep it in there in case anyone with an older phone come, comes along to plug into my car. But, you know, um, it's it's this thing of it's, it's not really doing what they planned it. They wanted it to do. They claim it does. It's not reducing e-waste in any form. Because if you buy a cheap and rubbish charger, you know, it's still a cheap and rubbish charger that's going to go in the bin in a year's time or set fire to something. It's a very you know? political
1: uh, decision, mm. isn't it? it it's, we, it's they haven't very, thought of any second-order consequences of. of no, what it's very done.
2: obviously a lobbying thing from people who make cheap stuff. you know, they 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 want everybody to use just to buy cheap chargers and not have to buy an a, buy a lightning lead or, you know, buy a phone that uses a lightning lead.
1: Yeah, I mean that said, I, I'm about to swap swap my iPhone 12 for a, for a 15, and I will be very happy to be able to plug to to take the. The USB-C charger from the iPad that's sat on the desk, and put it into the iPhone that's also going to be sat on the desk, and and I, I will not have to have the, US, the, the the lightnings lying around anymore. So uh, it's for me, mm. for me, it's great because I've got some, I've got all these, I've got millions of these things anyway. So I can actually get rid of one and put it in, put it in the in the box of leads to be kept for thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> yep,
2: um. <laughs> I still have my thirty-pin ones just in case. Oh You never know. Yeah. You never
1: know. I've still mm. got
0: my iPad too. So you should wall-mounted, and it just. you have to be
2: careful with on that? Um, I I likewise have iPads and iPods going way back to when I first uh, started developing for for iOS. And every now and again, you do have to inventory and check your batteries and stuff like that. Make sure that they're not bulging. Yeah. Uh, I have a. I had an iPhone six, which was my my uh, my UK phone. In that, it had a, a UK sim in it, so every now and again, I could verify with my bank that it was me and stuff because they still have my UK phone number. So that phone is an old one that's been. I, I, I don't even. I think I had it many years ago, and it got passed down through the family and then back to me when it was no longer being used. Because that, that's the thing with with iPhones, you, you use it. And then the one when you upgrade, the old one gets passed to some other member of the family to use. And it, it kind of goes all the way around through family and friends. It gets used for years. And, um, and this iPhone six came back to me and it's like, well, okay, that'll do as my, just literally put my old UK SIM in it, use that for, for validation. That's it. But the battery on it was dead or well, nearly dead. So I just left it constantly on charge, which is a bad thing. And it sat there on my desk for about two years. And, uh, I've noticed a couple of months ago. Oh, that's that's thicker than it used to be, and the top had popped off. And uh, yeah, the battery had bulged, and it's like very carefully remove it and safely dispose of the battery. You know, wow. Yeah. Strange, and, and this it? is the thing: if you've got all these things in drawers, ninety nine point nine percent of the time they'll be fine, especially if they're not being charged. Um, but and there was a an influencer uh, who who. Kind of gets all the new phones given to him as freebies and he reviews them and all this kind of stuff. And he has this wonderful library of every single Android phone and stuff like this and you know, all these special editions. And he noticed the latest Samsung one, this Samsung special edition thing, had bulged and he'd only had it a year. Um, and it, it started bulging. He said, Oh, that's not good. So he went back through his library and several of them had already bulged and split the cases. And, mm. you know, that's scary because it's bad enough with a phone because the potential if that battery blows. That's a, that's a serious fire, but this is where that whole problem with the e-bike batteries and stuff, you know, again, the knockoffs and it goes back to the whole next year we're supposed to have every battery is supposed to be replaceable, which is means we're going to have cheap knockoff batteries in a lot more phones than there should be. And those cheap knockoff batteries are the ones that explode. Right. Yeah. So yeah might be less e-waste but i
0: suspect there'll be more well based on that subject you might guess what was my first actual owned android phone given the conversation we've just had a samsung presumably a samsung galaxy note 7
2: (laughs) No, exploder, the exploder phone.
0: (laughs) So I didn't get the first batch because it was already recalled. Yeah, yeah, and of course all the big ads at airports. If you've got a Note Seven and all the rest of it, so then I got in the second batch and I was like really excited because I thought this phone looks amazing, and it was. I had it for two weeks and it was a wonderful two weeks of, uh, of all the Android phones. It was like the most beautiful thing, and certainly back then. It just felt so modern and so different to the iPhone because of the stylus and everything. It was just great, and then that was recalled two weeks later, and I had to give it up. But of course, everyone had to give it up, and I thought maybe they'll have a third go. No, that was it. After two yeah, goes, that
2: was tainted. That was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: but it was a, it was quite hilarious thinking back at it how it, so they could identify the batch of was it the first batch or the newer batch? They changed the battery charger color. So mm. then for people at airports, they'd have to look at the battery icon on the phone and things like that to know if that was the newer one or not. How bizarre.
2: It was Shelly. a design flaw. It was a very classic kind of Samsung design flaw of where we're copying, making everything as thin as possible, but not building intolerance for what if the battery isn't manufactured absolutely perfectly.
0: And it looks like the battery fault was actually two very separate battery faults it wasn't the same one that came for batch 2 it was like this was a completely different battery fault so my goodness what a mm. mess but they survived it somehow and uh, they're doing very well in the android space and if you're not mm. buying one of google's own phones it's like the reference uh, point, again, then samsung's the, um, right up there
2: spend a million dollars to make a million and one advertising thing there it's like my my local bank uh, here in spain doesn't do much in the way of actual banking. They sell stuff. They have their own shop, which is mostly Samsung products because they get them at very, very low cost and then sell them at full price, but with 0% interest. So it becomes an easy way to get not a cheap phone, but a cheap per month phone that you're not paying any interest on. But they also give them away as promos or they, they technically sell them, but effectively giveaways when you take loans out so some years ago, I, bought, I got a loan from my bank to do my kitchen up. And they said, oh, you can have the loan at this price with this high interest rate. Um, or if you buy a flat screen Samsung TV offers at full RRP, which no one ever buys a flat screen Samsung at full RRP, but 0% interest, your loan and the TV together will be cheaper than just the loan on its own because it's a promo deal with Samsung. So I I, I said, well, I don't want a Samsung TV. You know, they're fire risks, because their power sockets are very badly designed. Um, Oh,
0: God, I'm going to have to put a note on the bottom of this podcast. You've both said things where I might hear from a lawyer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is the last
1: one, really, isn't it? (laughs)
2: Yeah. I had a Samsung TV before, and the power socket wasn't fixed to the chassis. It was only sold to the motherboard. Any time you unplug it and plug it back in again, it weakens the soldering point, and eventually the thing starts arcing. Um, These are the I mean, personal
0: opinions of their relative speakers and not the opinion of Pixel Refresh or Associated <laughs> Game and Gadget Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't particularly want one, especially at the price of it for, for what was, you know, it was an okay TV, but not at that, that price, you know. Um, but it worked out that if I got that TV with the loan, and then gave it away, I'd pay less money. So I did, and I gave it to my mum to use, you know, with a, with a fire extinguisher. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, she's happily using it, and it worked It worked great, you know. It was better than the one she had, you know. But apparently the year before, the bank had been, using, been giving out Samsung phones on a similar, smaller deal, uh, and teenagers getting loans to get their first car would do this deal to get a phone. And there were so many Samsung phones on the market now given away with these loans. You couldn't sell one secondhand because they'd flooded the market.
1: (laughs) Explains all those fires you have as well. Mm,
2: Yeah. (laughs) I I suspect that's more to do with uh, dry brush than than dodgy phones. But yeah, it wouldn't be too surprising. (laughs) Put put the two together. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, let's finish on a high note, if we can. (laughs) A less libelous note. Yeah, a less libelous (laughs) note. (laughs) Um, My computer obsession in retro has gone an extra step, and now I've also got a Commodore 64, which is hilarious because I had one back in the day. And, Aaron, you remember from a previous podcast, I was lamenting and saying how much I regret getting rid of certain computers and blah, 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 blah. The Commodore 64 was one of those computers I lament letting go So it was lovely to get another one for a fair price, but it's in a bit of a state. Now, thankfully, I've restored the case and except for a little yellow tinge on the side, it looks fantastic. I'm amazed how well it's come up. When it arrived, I thought, is there a computer under all this filth and muck and grime? But amazingly, that muck and grime seemingly has actually protected it. Because it looks like it's been stored f- for a long time. But then when I looked inside and opened it up, there's a bit of corrosion in there. The, there's rust. So if I get this thing to work, which, by the way, I've not turned on yet with this power supply that came with it because I don't trust the power supply. So yeah, i recap that all-
2: everything first. <laughs> yeah, so
0: there's definitely a lot of s- steps to even try powering it on. But, mm. uh, you know, even as a piece of This is a beautiful computer to look at. It's doing that already. But I do want to go the extra mile and get it all working again. Or Mm. plan B, if the innards are not salvageable and it's only for spares, then maybe I'll get another C64 in better condition later on. But you can put a Raspberry Pi inside the Commodore 64, get a nice adapter. You can still use the same keyboard, the same joystick ports, and away you go. So that's a nice little plan B for it as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I when I was a when I was a kid, I really would like, lo- I really wanted the Commodore sixty four. Uh, um, it, was, it was years before we actually got our own computer, and it ended up being an Apple II clone. But the, um, the my friends had pets, and, and one of my friends had a who was very rich had a Commodore sixty four. And um, but the build quality and the style of the build on them was it was just a very nice computer to use. You know, uh, as as um, with yeah, a home computer.
1: I'd like to. I mean, I'm. I'm looking. I, I have a an eBay search open for um for a for a 64. I'll buy one at some point. Actually, I have. I do actually have one. I found it recently. Um, one of the newer ones, but I'd like the classic bread bin ones uh, one. as hmm. well. Um, but yeah, I'd love to write a little game for it. Then um, then I can say I've written a, a Commodore 64 game. I hope you And get get interviewed in freeze. Freeze magazine. well the time that's it my...
0: takes you to release that one, hopefully I'll have time to repair mine. To <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it's not, not going to be any time soon, given the list of things I, I want yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah,
0: Ooh. well, mine's a C sixty four C, and that's the one I had back in the day. So that was the one I went for. I mean, the bread bin one's really nice, but there's just something about the C sixty four C that's more like a serious computer. Somewhere, it's just the oh, That's the flat.
1: That's that's the one I was talking about. Yeah. Ah.
0: Yeah. There you go, the then. white one, the flat sort of white one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I do. That's, that's the one I've got. Although I don't think I've got any, any cables or anything for it, so I've not tested it. But it looks all right, the one I've got. It's been in a box for donkey's use.
2: They, they put, did they put more memory in it for the C? No. So it's that basically was... just a rebox C64? Yes, I
1: think so, yeah. With yeah, a that was smaller... a weird
2: thing at the time. Yeah, You know, it's with a... Moore's Law and everything, for the last couple of decades, we've been used to every year everything is faster and faster. Back then we had probably... Probably nearly almost a decade of everything basically being the same speed
0: pretty much I mean a lot use the same CPUs if we look mm-hmm. at the sort of the Amiga Atari side it was only the custom processors that made them go like the Amiga had an advantage over the Atari because of its custom extra chips but essentially the CPU itself it was the same CPU just clocked differently
2: Yeah, I think that helped though with the the, 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 the games and the design and marketing of the games because you weren't chasing a moving target with the spec of your game. You had, it has to work on an Amiga 500 or it has to work on an Atari ST 520 You know, that's the spec that you have to make it work on. And everything else was designed around that. So, well, then you, uh, porting you, must
0: have been fun between the two.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I that that was one of these things I didn't worry about. I just worked on one or the other usually, and that was it. <laughs> it it's why it's, those
1: games got so so um, refined, you know, because you, <clears throat> you had a, you had a static spec and you could. I mean, on, especially on the sixty four, the tricks they got up to with the chips um, were, were amazing. But you couldn't have done that if there was a more a more fluid hardware base. But, yeah, yeah it all went wrong with a PC, didn't it? Really.
2: <laughs> I mean, again, the, the sixty four because it, because it was so had more than a couple of years. As the same spec, people could learn what you could do with it and really dig in and do clever things. So the games got better and better and better on the same spec. And then I say PC came along, and then it's just like throw more memory at it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a different graphic card, different sound card. And here's the next Pentium. Here's the next. Here's the next. Then it was a nightmare.
2: Actually, Amiga. Amiga, though.
1: Amiga was pretty tweaky because the, the 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 there was the two there was the two chip sets wasn't there And, then, and the two they're actually quite different so we, we had a lot Ooh. of problems with um with our amiga stuff making it work on both so that was the start i guess that foreshadowed the, the later pc nightmares
0: now when you say both for the amiga do you mean as in the same sort of a500 range or was it when like the more advanced <laughs> ags graphics came along
1: well, there was the whatever it was a g a and the other one, yeah, it,
0: it was like the memory was different, which caused us a lot of problems mm. I'll see, so sort of you got the a five hundred a six hundred era, and then there was the a twelve hundred which had the a g s yeah yeah, I mean, I'd like to write
1: another amiga game, but I think he pick. You pick the top spec, don't you, these days and, and say that's the
0: one. No. Okay, you... I was arguing about you. This in the last podcast. The A500. You... More people have the A500 than any of the well, other ones. Well, I'm not sure
1: I believe this. I think I think people have got... got I've
2: got every, Everything's there virtual. Go. I've, I've...
1: <laughs> <laughs> everything's virtual these days. You just pick the best spec, surely. That's no. like,
2: uh, yeah, Get all my ten, 10 liners working. I've got a disc with 67 10-liner games on it for the Amiga um, that, that uh, are all... Fully playable games, <laughs> um, but again, I haven't looked at it in 20 odd years. So, whether the disc even works, and it assuming I actually find the thing because I mean, a lot of my discs have been have been all been stashed away, you know, it's um, it, it's one of the things a lot of a lot of stuff is just that's it, it's lost to history, you know.
1: It should work though if you find them,
0: yeah. I
2: mean,
1: my um, my Amstrad CPC three inch discs all worked, you know. Wow. I had to, I had to fix. I had to fix the 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 floppy disk drive and on the machine, I had to put, get a kit. It was like it was four pound ninety five, I think, for a, for a, a kit to fix the. And I actually did it and put a new band on it and it yeah. worked. And it fixed the drive. And then I thought, well, what? That, that's that's all well and good, but what, is it really going to read these discs that have been sat in a box since the mid eighties? And they all worked, every single one of them.
0: Yeah, that's
1: impressive. <laughs>
0: three inch discs, Maxell for the win. Mm. i'm not sure we will be saying that about cds in a few more years time no probably not yeah because disro no. gosh
2: yeah i know i know at least some i have gone back and pulled out old backup cds and stuff to to just re-archive them to hard disk and it's like not not readable
0: <laughs> yeah
2: i've did not work.
0: I've yeah, got quite I mean, an extensive HD DVD video library and quite a lot of already suffered disc rot and they're not that old. Mm, I mean, what was, yeah. what was that, 2007?
2: Yeah. And it's different tolerances of drives as well because, of course, when you had the original sort of single speed burners and double speed burners and stuff like that, they were marginal on whether you could get enough data to them to make them work, let alone reliably. Mm. And then it got up to like 52 times speed readers and stuff like that, which is now, if you've got a usb cd reader or you know a it'll be a dvd and cd reader the probability is it's a you know combined burner reader and everything that's at super speed and the probability of it reading one of those old single speed burned discs is you
0: know. <laughs> well i remember getting a 52 speed reader cd rom and i thought this is such a good idea this will load games so quickly but it was so loud <laughs> Yeah. This <laughs> well, this was a bad idea cuz most people would have particularly back then you'd have either a flat desktop PC with a monitor on top of it. So there was no escape in the CD-ROM drive. It was right in front of your face. Or you'd have the tower. Now, if you had the tower, which is more equivalent to what you have nowadays, you'd probably put it under, won't be quite as bad. But if you had a desktop, guess what folks? I had a desktop one. Oh my word, when I put a 52 times speed in it, it was awful. Instant regret,
2: yeah. And if, if you've got a disc with disc rot on it and it becomes unbalanced, then it's like it's whizzing around so fast that thing's basically gonna, if it disintegrates, it's gonna be loud.
0: <laughs> I do think one day that I'm gonna press the eject button, and it's just gonna fly off <laughs> across the room.
2: Um, Mythbusters actually tested the whole thing of if a CD fails in one of these high speed readers, will it fly out with shrapnel? Fly out? they it didn't, apparently. Until they fitted uh, a power drill underneath it to make it go even faster, <laughs> and then the case was all buckled and everything. It was quite funny. <laughs>
1: you've seen you've seen that video on the internet of uh, some, some lads put a put a washing machine outside and then put a, yeah, put a breeze put block brick. in it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mine's doing that at the moment with just towels, so I'm, I'm kind of you know I might have to get that fixed. <laughs>
0: And that's the point where we end the podcast. That's the line. (laughs) (laughs) So, Aaron, I hope you get your washing machine sorted out. Yes. Tony, (laughs) uh, welcome to getting a new iPhone 15 at some point in the near future. Yes. So, we'll get your report on that soon going from the iPhone 12. Exciting. Exciting. I will see. Tony, in person for the first time at this event. I'm very much looking forward to shaking your hand and saying how much yeah, I love Breton Saw because I've never spoken to that about you before, ever. Maybe quite a lot, actually. But uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, f- folks, and we will see you next time at the Game and Gadget Podcast.